Okay, so I feel like I'm supposed to preach this morning. I almost uh, abandoned what I was going to do. I felt like the Lord said no preach, and so we're going to do it. Uh, Acts 27, 33 through 38. So if you're going to children's church, all right, first uh, thing here, you are going to church, and you must be a child. All right? Follow Miss Elizabeth and whoever it is that's helping her this morning, and uh, they will lead you to the place we need to go. Um, also, we want to encourage that there not be people wandering around the halls. If you're wandering around the halls, we want to make sure you get to where you need to be. We're just trying to make sure everybody's safe and everything's uh, the way it needs to be. And so if you're wandering around the halls and somebody says, would you please go sit down, please do that and uh, get to where you need to go. And, um, you know, we just want to, again, make sure that everything is taken care of. So it will be exactly as I have been told, Acts 27, 33 through 38. As day was about to dawn, Paul urges them all to take some food, saying, Today is the 14th day that you've continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. Let me give you the context here. Paul was on his way to Rome as a prisoner. Um, they uh, were not going to, uh, uh, they shouldn't be sailing at this time. You know, we have windows of time when they say it's hurricane season. They did as well, and they said it's not a good idea. They went anyway. They found themselves in the middle of a hurricane. So Paul is getting up. He says in verse 34, Therefore I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength, for not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread, and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it, and he began to eat. Then they were all encouraged and ate some food for themselves, and we were in all 276 persons in the ship. And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship, throwing out wheat into the sea. Now the Apostle Paul, for those of you all that may be new, uh, to uh, uh, the Bible and what's going on here was a man uh, who God used to change the course of history, but he didn't always start that way. In fact, he was a, he was a Jew, he was a Pharisaic Jew, and whenever uh, belief in Christ broke out, he was actually one of the most um, uh, uh, ardent persecutors of the church. And then God got a hold of him, and then he became one of the most ardent supporters and promoters of the church and of the Lord. So um, Paul was uh, struck down by a light when Paul heard the Lord. Faith was birthed, in his, was birthed in his heart, and it was this faith that propelled him through some of the most violent and vile afflictions that any person could bear in pro proclaiming and declaring the Word of God. In 1 Timothy 6 and 12, he tells Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. Now, I don't know if you know this, but oftentimes faith is a fight. You've got to put your trust in God, put your trust in what God has said when everything around you is fighting against what God's Word has proclaimed to you. What did faith look like for Paul? Well, that's what we want to look at as we examine one instance in his life where we can actually see a picture of faith in action. So first thing we need to realize is that God word was revealed. In Acts 20, 18 through 23, the Bible says, when they came to him, they said to him, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia. Paul is talking to the Ephesian elders, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink back from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house testifying both the Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now he's telling them, Behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, 
not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. So, after Paul had completed his third missionary journey, he felt compelled to go back to Jerusalem. And what is revealed to us in this passage is that Paul was constrained by the Spirit to go. In other words, it, it was like he was bound by the Spirit. I think another translation says that he needed to do this. And unfortunately, he was told what was going to await him when he got there. I say unfortunately, but in Paul's mind, it was probably the best thing for him to know going in there. The Holy Spirit lets us know what we need to know in order to be able to do what we're called to do. When he finally arrived in Jerusalem... He was accosted by the Jews, and he was imprisoned by the Romans. And while he was there, Paul receives a clear word from God as to what else awaited him in his future. Acts 23, 10 through 11, when the dissension became violent, the tribune, he was in, on trial before the Sanhedrin, afraid that Paul would be torn to pieces by them, commanded, no, this is another instance, commanded the soldiers to go down, take him away from among them by force, and bring him into the barracks. The following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. So he's getting words from God. The word from God said, first of all, you're going to go to Jerusalem, right? And it's not going to be good when you get there. You're going to end up uh, in affliction. You're going to end up in prison. Now, when that happened, the word of the Lord continues to unfold, and it tells him, well, now you've got to go to Rome. So Paul knows what God's will is for his life. And that brings us to the second point. God's word unfolds over the process. God may give you a seed of what he's going to do in, in your life, but he doesn't tell you the whole thing. But as you walk through journey, he'll begin to unfold a little bit more what it's going to look like. That's what he did for Paul. Well, Acts 24, 27. When two years had elapsed, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus, and desiring to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison. So after this commotion that had sent Paul on his journey to Rome, a plot was found out against Paul as the Jews had sought to kill him, and as a result, they sent him away to another city where Paul was kept in custody. And what I wanted you to understand from this verse is that he was held in prison for at least two years. Now, Paul is an apostle. We know him as the Apostle Paul. You didn't know he was a convict. But he was, according to the Romans. He was being held in prison without bail. Now, from the time Paul had been given the word that he must go to Jerusalem, the word that God had given him again that he was not going to go to Rome was now at least two years old. After a while, the word that God gave him, and oftentimes the word God gives us, if we're not careful, it, begin to, it can begin to wane in your thinking in the midst of the circumstances that you're facing. What do I mean by wane? In other words, it, it's no longer maybe as important as, uh, uh, um, as uh, uh, evident as central in your thinking and oftentimes we might even think well I guess that wasn't God or I guess we got that wrong that's I'm gonna switch gears a little bit and then I'm gonna come back 
That's what made Abram's life so incredible and why he was called the father of faith because he had a word from God that he believed God for and his word unfolded over a process of 25 years. What we may not realize about Abram and what we will also see in Paul is that the Lord continued to confirm and unfold the word in their lives and that word and the confirmation of it helped to bolster their faith in God. In Genesis 12, 1 through 4, God began with Abraham. We see this where he began in Genesis 12, 1 through 4. He tells them, go from your country, your kindred, your father's house to the land that I will show you and I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Abraham went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him and Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Aram. So Abram went, had been in the land for some time when he and his nephew Lot separated. Lot got in trouble. Abraham went to rescue him. After rescuing him, God again revealed his word and will to and for Abraham in Genesis 15. He says, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. And Abram said, what good is it? <laughs> oh, Lord, what will you give me? For I am childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus, one of my household servants. And Abraham said, Behold, you've given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven, and number the stars if you're able to number them. And he said to them, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted to him as righteousness. Awesome. I remember when I first got a call to ministry, and I thought to myself, I know what God's going to do in my life. I'm going to be a preacher. I'm going to be a missionary. It's going to be awesome. God showed me a picture, not necessarily of how it was going to unfold, but he showed me a picture of ministry. I had my own ideas of how it was going to happen. Never understood. Now, I've been in ministry. I got, I got uh, saved in 1985, probably got my calling somewhere in 86 or 87. It is now 2023, and we're just now beginning to see some of the things that God has promised us in uh, all those years past but what I want you to know is that it didn't begin like this and go like this it actually began here and it went up and then down and then a little up and then down and then up and then down and you know it that's what it is to follow after God and so what happens is you're on your way up and then you hit a wall you hit an obstacle you hit something that says that ain't God and if a lot of people what they do then is they quit They quit. But see, what God wants you to do and what we should learn from the people in the past is that not to let go of the call, not to let go of the promise, not to let go of what God has spoken to you in life. And whenever things get rough, you continue to trust God, even though everything around you is telling you that ain't God. Are you hearing what I'm saying? 24 years later, Abraham's been doing what God told him to do. 
walk in the land. God promised him he was going to have a son. 24 years later, God once again reinforces his word to Abram and continued to unfold his plan uh, uh, to Abram in the fulfillment of his word. In Genesis 17, 5 through 6, he said, No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I've made you the father of a multitude of nations. Now, wait a minute, God. Wait a minute. You called me when I was 75. I'm 99. 99 years old. I can't have kids anymore. Worse than that, my wife can't have kids anymore because she's the one that's got to carry this kid. God, I don't think you understand what you're saying. God understands perfectly what he's saying. He said, I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make you into nations and kings shall come from you. 24 years later, 99 years old. Genesis 17, a little farther down in that passage, God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall, know, you shall not call her name Sarai, which a lot of people think means contentious, but Sarah shall be her name, which means princess. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. You see, he did, God didn't tell him all this in the past, but now he's telling him, this is what I'm going to do. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. So finally, after 25 years, we see the fulfillment of God's word to Abraham in Genesis 21, 1 through 2. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised, and Sarah conceived. Now notice, Sarah and Abraham had a part in this. Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. I want you to know that God is faithful. What God has promised, He will do. What is our part? Our part in the process is to continue to believe God. It doesn't mean you have to be a super person. It doesn't mean that you don't struggle with doubts and you don't struggle with discouragement and you don't wonder sometimes whether or not it's ever going to happen. It doesn't matter. All of that in the midst of that is you just refuse to quit on God's promise. The Bible says, summing it all up in Romans 4, 18 through 21, it says, in hope, Abraham believed against hope. In other words, hope was actually telling you not to hope. But Abraham believed that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told by God, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body. In other words, he wasn't denying the circumstances. He wasn't ignoring the circumstances. God knew how old he was, and Abraham knew how old he was. The circumstances don't determine whether God's going to do what he's going to do. Sometimes we look around, and we look at the situation, we look at the circumstances to try to determine whether it's God. Well, it's God if. It's God if. If it matches my understanding, if it matches my reasoning, if it matches the way I think she, things should be done, no. It's either God or it's not. Abraham determined this was God. And he did not weaken in faith 
when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. Now, I'll help you to understand this. It didn't mean, it doesn't mean he never had unbelief. It means that in the middle of, uh, in the middle of the unbelief that he was being bombarded with, he did not quit. Instead, he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. Now, some of you may think Christians are weird people. Well, you might be right. Because we're not rational people. Because rational people believe whenever the facts are given to them, they believe in the facts. We're not contrary to facts. We just believe in truth. What is truth? Truth is not necessarily the facts that were presented. Truth is what God says in His Word. Well, that's crazy. No, it's called faith. What the world considers foolishness, God considers faith. Now, faith is not ignorant. Faith is not in denial. Faith is seeing the circumstances, but believing God's promise in the middle of the circumstances. You see, we want to say if everything goes, goes right, then it's God, or then we'll believe God. And that's not the way it works. The way it works is that we believe God whether everything looks like it's going to work out or not. Abraham was fully convinced that God was able to do what God had said he was going to do. What we see with Abraham, we're also going to see as we get back to Paul. God revealed his word to Paul, and that word was reinforced to him throughout his journey. And that's going to bring us to our third point, the word of God and faith. Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. Just like Abraham, Paul saw the word of the Lord unfold, reveal itself in his life, as he walked out the will of God for him by faith. Acts 27, 9 through 11, before Paul was going to go on this journey, Paul had an inkling that things weren't going to go right. And it wasn't just, hey, I looked at the weather, it doesn't look good. Paul, I believe, had a perception by the Spirit of God of what was going to take place. And he tells the people, he's a prisoner, they don't pay a lot of attention to prisoners, but he tells them, sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ships, but also of our lives. But the centurion, the guy that was in charge, the, uh, the parole officer that was going with him, the, what do you call him, the bailiff or whoever was in charge of him, the centurion paid more attention to the pilot who wanted to make money and to the owner of the ship who wanted to deliver his cargo than they did to Paul because they had no value in a word from God. I'm just trying to relate to you the circumstances so it makes sense to you. In Acts 27, 18 through 26, what Paul perceived was happening. And we catch them in the middle of the storm. And it says, since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. And when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. In other words, we're going to die. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, Men, you got to get a little dig in there somewhere. You should have listened to me. 
and not set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only the ship. What are you talking about? For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship, and he gave me a word. doesn't say that in the text, but I want to put it together for you. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. Translation, you must appear before Rome, just like the word that was given to you before. Remember when he said, you're going to Rome? The angel is saying, you're still going to Rome. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. And so take heart, men, Paul stands up and says, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. However, we must run aground on some island. Now, wait a minute. You've you got to understand. Well, I want to jump. I want to go into it already. Let me read this other text first. Oh, it's so exciting. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> Acts 27, 33 through 36. As day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food, saying, Today is the 14th day that you've continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. This was our text. Therefore, I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength. For not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread, and giving thanks to God, in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. And they were all encouraged and ate some food for themselves. Now, let me give you the context, okay? What I want you to see in this passage is, uh, is that faith, what faith looked like in Paul's life. Faith is believing God. It's trusting that what God says is true no matter what the circumstances around you look like or are telling you. In fact, that's what it says in Hebrews 11.1. 1. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. No matter what was going on around Paul, he had full assurance in what God had spoken to him. Now let me give you the context. Remember, Paul was not in a peaceful church surrounded by relaxing and faith-inspiring worship music and faith-filled preaching. In fact, he was in the middle of a storm. I don't think you're getting it. Not just any storm, but a hurricane-type storm. No sunlight, no lights, wind blowing, water seeping, Waves tossing to the left, to the right, forward, backward, despairing of life to the point that they don't want to eat. Why would I eat in the middle of a storm when I'm about to die? He was on a ship, not a ship like today, like you would see on, uh, um, uh, uh, what do they call that, Bering Sea Show, like you would see on, uh, yeah, the deadliest catch made out of steel. No, it was made out of wood. It, was made, it wasn't made of metal, but it was a wooden ship with sails on it. Paul was going up and down and left and right, and winds were howling and the sea was raging. However, what I want us to see is that it wasn't these troubling circumstances which Paul's attention was on. What was his attention on? What grasped Paul's consideration? Paul's attention was on the Word of God that had been reinforced to him by the angel. The word he had gotten before this whole journey began. 
The Word was what had Paul's attention. It's what his eyes were on. It was his faith in what God had told him that was the catalyst for his peace and being able to eat a meal in the middle of a hurricane. He believed God. How do you know? His faith was demonstrated in what he did in the middle of a storm. What we should see in this real life picture of a person's faith is that faith in God believes what God says and acts in accordance with what God has said regardless of what anyone, anything, or anybody else is saying. It's what God says that guides our life and our behavior. Well, I've been believing God for healing. Well, you ain't been healed. Why don't you just give up on that? It doesn't matter what I feel. It doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter what I experience. What matters is what God's Word says. And I'm going to continue to believe God. And I want you to continue to believe God. No matter what circumstances are, what God has said to you is true. Let God be true and every man a liar. Well, everything's going to work out better for Paul now. <laughs> Little do you know, in Acts 28, verse 3 through 5, they did land on an island, just like the angel had said to Paul. And Paul let everybody know. They landed on an island. And the Bible says when they landed on the island, the, the, the natives there began to build them a fire and give them shelter. And when Paul, he wanted to be useful, had gathered a bundle of sticks and put it on a fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. Wow. What else is going to try to come and steal his faith? Really, that's what it's trying to do. Steal his faith. You know what the enemy wants to do? He wants to steal your faith in God. He wants to steal your faith in what God has promised you, in your purpose, your destiny, what God has planned for you. And it's not God that brings all these things your way. It is an enemy. It is a, it is a, he was bitten, not by God, he was bitten by a viper. And it's a thief that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. What does he want to take? Your faith. When the native people saw the creature hanging around from the crowd, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer. Now we know why he's in prison. Now we know why he's in chains. Now we know why he's in the situation he's in. He's a bad, not in a good bad, a bad, bad dude. They said, Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live and you will have people in your life you're believing God you're standing on God you keep getting up you keep walking forward and then all of a sudden something else bad happens to you and they say God's not for you this ain't God and they're going to try to bring you down and life is going to try to bite you and the enemy's going to try to bite you with bitterness with rejection with quitting but Paul had just had a confirmation not that he was going to survive the sea. The angel said, you have an appointment in Rome. So you know what he did? He shook off the creature into the fire. And he suffered no harm. Why was he able to shake off the snake into the fire? It's my contention. When you preach, 
you can preach your contention. But it's my contention that it was because Paul was still being guided by that prophetic word. Paul wasn't in Rome yet, and therefore until he got there, he knew he was going to survive. He was going to be safe. I want to give you one more picture of what faith looks like. But this time I want to give it to you from Jesus' own example. In Mark 4, 35 through 40, On that day, when evening came, he said to the disciples, Let us go across to the other side. Now I want you to know, that is not a request. That is a declaration. That is a command. The Word of God made flesh is saying what the will of God was by declaring the Word of God. We're going to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose. And the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But Jesus was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him, and they said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke, and he rebuked the wind, and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Why was Jesus able to sleep in the middle of the storm? Again, my contention, the same reason that Paul was able to eat in the middle of the storm. He had his eyes on the word that had been spoken. He gave the word, let us go to the other side. The word had been given, and the word was steadfast. The word of God is true, and God's word will come to pass. And Jesus knew when the word was given, no storm, no wind, no waves would keep that word from coming to completion. He believed the word of God, and he was able to sleep in the middle of the storm. He believed the word, not the circumstances, and he lived in accordance with it. Now, I don't know where you're at. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what your situation is. But I do know we forgot to do the declaration at the beginning. My bad. I've been out of pocket for a while. This word is true. What God says in this word, you can take to the bank. God is faithful. I think it was Danny Johnson that says he honors his word above himself. That's a quote from the Bible. His word is forever settled in the heavens. When God reveals something to you, we had a prophetic word given to somebody here this morning. When God reveals something to you, you may be reading and all of a sudden God just highlights something to you. This is a promise of God for you. Whenever you're going in the word of God and you're going through something and all of a sudden faith is birthed in your heart that God promised he was going to heal you. God promised he was going to use you. God promised he was going to set you free. God promised he was going to deliver you. God promised that your life was not going to be like your parents and your grandparents. Your life is going to 
going to be different. But everything around you is telling you, no, it's not going to be different. I'm exactly like my dad. I'm exactly like my mom. You go to the doctor and the doctor says, has your parents ever had this? Has your great parents ever had this? And they'll say something like diabetes or alcoholism or dementia. And all of a sudden say, well, we need to make sure and check you because if they had it, more than likely you're going to get it. And all of a sudden that way of thinking starts easing into your mindset. And you need to go to the Word of God. And you need to realize that what God says about you, He's your heavenly Father. You've been birthed into a different DNA. What God says is true. Not what the doctor says is true. Not what anybody else says is true. It's what God says it's true. I believe God. I stand on what God says. My life will be different. My destiny will be different. My children will be different. Their children will be different. We are going forward in God. Why? Because God said it. And I believe it. What about you? Well, you don't know what I've done. You don't know what situations I've done. You don't know what mess I'm in. You don't know what, what things are looking like. I don't care what they're looking like. That's a storm. That is wind. That is waves. What I want you to focus on is what God has said. I'm with you. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I know, but I messed up. I haven't been living for God. I made a lot of mistakes. I, if you confess your sins, He's faithful and just to forgive you of all your sins and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. He will cast your sins as far as the east is as from the west. I feel a call, but my health has told me. That's what happened to me when they were talking about it. I said, man, I'd sure like to go there. And I said, but I can't. My back is telling me this. My back is telling me that. You know what? It's not what my back says. It's what God says that counts. Your account tells you you can't do something. Your money tells you I can't do something. It's not what your money says. It's what God says. He's our provider. He's our healer.